Hello and welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of Truth to Power. My name is Justin Mogg. I'm a programmer here at Forward Radio, and this is your community radio station. We built it for the people, and it's by the people. This is all-volunteer-run community radio broadcasting out of the historic Habern Building at 106.5 FM, but we also live stream to the world at forwardradio.org, and that's the place to go to become a part of this station and to get behind these microphones. Uh, we need people both behind the mics and behind the scenes to make this radio magic happen all the time, 24-7, 365. Uh, so you can become a part of it, uh, and you can donate a few bucks to help keep us on the air. It only takes $20 a day to make this radio magic happen, and it's it's such a community treasure that you can support today at forwardradio.org. Well, joining me in the virtual studio, as usual, is Hart Hagen, host of The Climate Report, and Let's Talk. How are you doing this fine day, Hart? doing great, Justin. How are you? Yeah, things are feeling pretty good. I'm, I'm very positive all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, it's been a relieving week for me. Uh, well, how, how's your... Uh, How's your farm going? Uh, like you're, you're not the only farmer here. That's or right. Rob, Robert, Rob's not the only farmer here. That's right. We're going to talk farming today, and I'm a subsistence farmer. <laughs> I grow as much of my own food as I can all over town, and we can talk about that uh, in more detail. But I'm in, I'm in community gardens. I'm in vacant lots, uh, and my wife is a market farmer, and she has an orchard uh, now. It's evolved into an orchard. Started also producing some vegetables, but it's now mostly shade it out. Uh, but we have an apiary there as well. Uh, we make some honey for, for ourselves and for sale uh, in the Portland neighborhood. But yeah, joining us also on the line today is Rob Ball. He's a local farmer who uh, you may have met if you've ever been down to the Jefferson Town Farmer's Market. Uh, he's also at the Rainbow Blossom Farmer's Market in St. Matthews. Uh, so check him out Sundays, noon to four. Uh, and he is a UK graduate who has been farming for only a uh, a little bit now and he's got a new farm a small farm off of henry road in middletown is that right rob old henry road yeah old henry road yeah. tell us about how much acreage you got out there and what you grow so the plot is a 10 acre uh piece of land uh i'm farming about a half acre at the moment okay yeah and, and are you doing this all by yourself Yes, all by myself. <laughs> uh, I have some friends come over and help me out from time to time, but uh, mostly it's just me. And how did you come across this particular patch of property? Uh, this is uh, my family moved out here when we were really young, and uh, they've we've still they're still living here. Oh wow! And I've come back after some travels, and uh, I'm farming it for myself now, kind of leasing it out in exchange for, uh, you know, I take care of the property and they let me grow food. That's sweet. That is sweet. Uh, and it, it, you also, in addition to selling farmer's markets, you have some relationships with uh, local restaurants, right? I sell to a couple restaurants in town. Yes. Uh, Bricks Wine Bar and Bistro over in Anchorage and Village Anchor. Also in Anchorage, which they're probably about five minutes from the farm. Um, and then uh, downtown Mayan Cafe, as well as the new Logan Street Market. Yeah. So how was this uh, first year for you? Uh, it, it, it was actually weather-wise not that bad a year to grow. Yeah, weather-wise it was great. Yeah, I, 
I couldn't ask for better weather. It was a little dry there at the end of the summer, but yeah. that's pretty expected. Uh, yeah, weather was great. And uh, uh, there's some other, in terms of the economics of this year, <laughs> that, that made things a little <laughs> tough. Uh, my beginning, in starting out, my entire intention was to sell to restaurants. And I was going to do farmers markets, but restaurants were kind of my main focus. And come March, when they kind of <clears throat> started cutting the restaurants off and capacity and uh, in in-person dining, I kind of had to make a pivot to mainly uh, farmers markets. And I also run a small delivery CSA where I put together a box of produce and deliver it to people's homes just in the surrounding area. So this is kind of a, a subscription model for, for subscribing to a farm, right? Uh, yeah. And, yes. And is that something you hope to grow in future years? I hope to. Yes. Uh, I got, I have 50 members on my list right now and wow. uh, I just text them every Sunday and I typically get about 10 to 12 people respond that they want the, the share. It's kind of like an as needed. Oh, basis. okay. But I'm hoping that next year I can get some people on that, you know, want it every single week and I can have those people that are uh, a sure thing every single week. And they're getting just a share of the harvest. So if it's a, if it's a really good year for kale, then they get a lot of kale. If it's a great year for turnips, they get a lot of turnips. That's how it works, right? Yeah. And let me tell you, this spring was a, a heck of a year for kale. <laughs> <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's just whatever I have that, that week, it varies. Sometimes it's uh, five or six items and some weeks it's only been four items. Uh, but yeah typically about $20 a week for the delivery and the box produce. Nice. So tell us about the variety of things you grew this year. Uh, so my focus is around greens. Um, name of my company is Naked Greens. Um, it's all grown organic, uh, no pesticide, non-GMO. But what I grew a lot of was lettuce, spinach, kale, collards, uh, arugula, Turnips, beets, carrots, tomatoes, heirloom tomatoes, uh, sun gold cherry tomatoes. Uh, right now I've got onions and garlic. Any sweet potatoes? Yeah. No, not any sweet oh, potatoes. Okay. <laughs> I'm probably going to put some of those in the ground next year. Yeah, they're fun. Uh, squash. I did patty pan squash this year. Nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that, that about covers it, I think. <laughs> what were some of the big lessons from the year? Besides the whole, I mean, you're, you're working in COVID times, so there's all these economic issues. But in terms of the farming, uh, what were some of the big lessons from the year? So irrigation, figuring that out was a heck of a, a learning experience. Uh, I found that drip, I was using drip at the beginning of the year. And I found that it kind of, I kind of had an issue with germination and a lot of my baby greens. So all my spinach and lettuce and arugula is baby, baby size. And you plant the seeds really dense. Yeah. So my, bed, my beds are about 30 inches wide and I have nine rows in that 30 inches. 
So, and each seed's around about a half inch apart. So that drip just wasn't uh, getting a uh, solid uh, moisture across the soil. So uh, I had to switch to overhead and I've got that on a timer now. It's hooked up to my phone. So wow. it's, I can turn the water on from wherever. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't matter where in the world I am. I can turn that water on and water my crops. So that's, that's made the kind it. of farming I like. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, it's so much easier. Uh, it yeah. takes some physical work to set that up, though, Hart. <laughs> okay. Well, shucks. Uh, Maybe I wouldn't like that so much. Hart, you've grown yeah. some stuff now, haven't you? Don't Don't be shy. Yeah, well, I, I mainly like cutting things down. Uh, I, I get in the woods and, and cut down invasive species. There you go. I have transplanted a few wildflowers. I have about a 30% uh, success rate in transplanting <laughs> wildflowers. I, I, I kill ironweed when I try to transplant it. I, I, uh, I did successfully transplant some blue mist flower this year, so oh, good nice. for me. But anyway. <laughs> you ever transplanted? lady slipper i uh, can't say i have have you no i've never seen it i've always i do a lot of camping as well and i identify edible and medicinal plants mm. go out there and i've always wanted to find some lady slipper but it's like it's a very rare i believe it's in the lily family but don't mm. quote me on that it's a very rare flower and um i wouldn't recommend transplanting it <laughs> but, right. uh, but uh if well, you had you had some i would like to come see it <laughs> uh, all right well I'll, I'll keep that in mind i have seen some lady slippers around here somewhere uh but you might get arrested if you try to uh, transplant <laughs> it from the places where i know it is uh, but uh but you're talking about medicinal talk talk about medicinal stuff like i feel like this is a lost art yeah like you know you, indigenous tribes know a lot about you know, medicinal stuff and uh, anyway, so I, I've heard that, you know, farming is for food, fuel, fiber, and medicine. And what, what can we learn about medicinal? That's a broad question. <laughs> um, so I, I take a pretty basic uh, approach to it. Uh, I know a few that stomach aches, uh, sweet Sicily, if you go out and you dig that up, it's pretty prevalent out uh, here in Eastern United States. Um, it's, it's uh, sweet Sicily. It's got another name. It's kind of like a, a licorice type flavor. Um, that helps you with your stomach if it's upset, which happens when you're out camping sometimes. <laughs> uh, but learning the stuff that's around you when you're hiking, uh, I've always said that us hikers, we, we take these magnificent pictures and we, we go out and we get to these great places on top of mountains and we see huge landscapes. But to get there, we spend a lot of time looking at the ground, whether it be to keep from tripping or <laughs> looking, at, uh, looking at what's around us. So you might as well learn what's down there so you know what you can eat and what you can't and uh, what might help you in a, a dire situation. Um, but some of the, uh, speaking of camping, uh, went out there and did a, did a hike up in the Red River Gorge and 
I uh, was bitten by a copperhead. Oh my gosh. When I was there. And something that we did, and this is kind of a, a, a combination between farming and uh, what's grown wild and medicinal plants. It's, you know, when I was bit, a bunch of people would put tobacco on bites to draw out poison. Whether it worked or not, I don't know. <laughs> that's something that we did. And uh, it, it seemed to help a little bit, if nothing else, uh, placebo. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you feel better, who cares why? <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, did you study agriculture at UK, or how did you get into this whole farming thing? Yeah, so I studied animal science at UK uh, in their agriculture school. And um, I got into farming uh, pretty young, probably around middle school. Wow. And eventually, we're on this 10-acre piece of ground. We had a garden growing up, and that's kind of where it started. My dad and I kind of started that garden. And then eventually, towards high school, a buddy of mine and I got chickens and started out with about six and uh, it was one of these things that you you get a little and you kind of get addicted to it. <laughs> and before, within a year, I think we had 100, 120 Whoa. birds all together. Yeah, and we, we put 12 of them in the state fair and got a few ribbons there. And uh, we also raised meat rabbits. So, and uh, kind of learned how to slaughter and how to process our animals and what it took to to raise and care for all of this. And that was our first experience of where our food came from. And are you hoping to bring animals back into the naked greens operation eventually? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'd like to do kind of an intensive rotation of poultry and mm. pork and maybe uh, cow and calf combo. Um, but right where we are now don't really have the well i don't have the capital right now but i also i think i would need a little bit more space for what i'd like to do what would you like to do well i'd like to have specifically for the chickens i'd do probably meat birds in a in like a movable pen or a movable coop and uh, it'd probably be about a foot and a half, two feet tall, and then uh, probably 12 feet by 12 feet. And I would just move them across the, uh, the pasture. And then once they would, they wouldn't. So as to rotate. As to rotate, essentially that would want to have enough space to where they would not sit on the same ground more than one, one time. Now, is that good for the ground, or is there a function, a purpose of that, other than what's good for the chickens? Yes. So, as I understand it, I would move the chickens, and then the pigs would come behind that, and then hmm. yeah, I might have the cows come behind that. It's It kind of replicates... You use electric fences? Correct. For the cows yeah. and the pigs? Yes. It, it replicates the movement of say bison across the prairie long time ago where they have intensive grazing they drop a lot of manure they pound a lot of uh, grass and other vegetation into the soil 
and it creates a disturbance essentially uh, and allows for more regeneration of a healthy soil and ecosystem. Well, let me share with you a little bit about what I've heard about that because I get most of what I'm about to say I get from Joel Salatin in Virginia, Shenandoah Valley, Virginia. And uh, he said, you know, he has a rotation system similar to what you're talking about. Right. And if you do it right, then it can, for one thing, the, the cow days per acre is one thing that you can, it's like in his area, you can, the, the average is 80 cow days per acre, but he can get 400 cow days per acre. So he can get a lot more uh, sustenance from the ground based on this rotation system that tends to fertilize the ground. And also the grass tends to grow deeper roots. So when that deeper roots grow, then the, the, then the grass is absorbing carbon from the air. Uh, and it, so we have this notion that, uh, that cows are bad for climate, but I think that depends entirely on how you raise them. And what you're describing is it can be called biomimicry, which is where, you know, in nature, you know, birds tend to follow cattle. And when they do that, they tend to, you know, recycle some of the stuff that the cattle poop out. And, and then the whole process tends to fertilize the ground so that when they come back around, the grass is much, much better than it would have been. But you have to rotate in order to do that. Right. Yeah, it's going to. It's going to add layers upon layers of uh, a healthy organic matter on top of that soil. And it, yeah, it will absorb more greenhouse gas and uh, yeah, like I said, provide a better ecosystem, healthier ecosystem. Well, I'm curious about the soil on your site. Since you didn't get to start with this rotation that you're talking about, how, how, how are you managing fertility? In the garden, my, I manage fertility. I add compost. Uh, I, I add pretty heavy amount of compost, uh, especially now getting started out. Uh, you can't have too much compost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I also put down a, a nature safe fertilizer. It's uh, feather meal, b bone meal, I think maybe some blood meal as well. And and then I cover crop as well. Uh, so most of what I've got out, uh, what I'm pre prepping for next year is in cover crop right now. Uh, winter, winter wheat and rye as well. And that's how many, how many years do you do a cover crop in proportion to how many years you grow? Is it like a one to one, two to one, three to one? Well, I do a cover. I would do a cover crop every year, every winter. Oh, okay. Uh, so anything, the idea is to never let your soil sit fallow. Mm -hmm. That's, that's probably, that's one of the worst things you could probably do for it, particularly when the fall rains and the spring rains come around and they'll just wash that soil right away. Um, so I do a cover crop of wheat. Uh, I'd like to get other mixes of cover crops in there, winter peas, and some other grasses just to provide more biodiversity. Mm -hmm. But uh, what I'm doing now currently is for my garden beds, um, I've got a cover crop just on the bed, but not on the walkways. And I'm mowing it with uh, with old fashioned, like, like a sickle mower. And it just drops that 
grass right on top of the bed and kind of creates like a living mulch. Hmm. So yeah, and that's, I just do that all through winter. You know, when I get the chance, I'll mow it down a little bit. And, and then once spring comes around, I'll add another bit of compost and start planting. I, I love how cover crops keep it biologically active too. I mean, that's the, it's the root zone, which is attracting all, all of the of biological life in the soil. And so having no roots, nothing growing, you, you're basically nothing going on in your soil, but uh, you can have, you can add fertility throughout the season. If you, if you have this uh, bioactive uh, polyculture going on. And, and I also like the, thinking about the different functions of the different kinds of plants. So you mentioned peas, there you have a legume that's fixing nitrogen out of the air and putting it into yeah. soil for the for the next crop right right yeah uh, especially if you so typically what i would do with peas and other legumes is i would take i would mix that seed with an inoculant um provided by the seed company or wherever and they would <clears throat> that would allow that bacterium in the soil to further fix that nitrogen because a lot of that those legumes they need a particular bacterium in the soil in order to fix nitrogen and if your soil doesn't have it they won't do it so you kind of give them a little <clears throat> give them a little help and then hopefully after a few years you don't need it anymore it's just they're active in your soil at least that's the way i think it would work <laughs> We're speaking today with, uh, with with Rob Bell. He's a local farmer. We're talking about uh, farming and agriculture today on Truth to Power here on Forward Radio with me, Justin Mogg, and, and Hart Hagen. Uh, so this, to me, sounds very different from conventional agriculture, right? You want to highlight maybe some of the differences between what you're doing and the, the, the farms that are supplying the food that most people are eating? Yeah, so this is uh, intensive agriculture. So it's small area, uh, and it has a lot, like a lot of crop rotation. So some of my beds, my garden beds, they've had four or five crops in them already at the end of this year. And uh, typically, a conventional farm might have one or two. Uh, we would see a lot here in Kentucky maybe wheat would go up until around June, July, and they'd harvest that and they put beans in behind that. Um, or it would be corn from spring to the end of summer. And, you know, they, they've got their three crops that they rotate, which is fine. It's, it's working for what they're doing, but ideally they would probably want to add, it'd be great if we had a few more crops that we could put in that rotation for those conventional farmers, whether it be hemp or some other small grain uh, that they could use. But um, yeah, so mine, a lot of compost, um, you know, all organic fertilizers and intensive crop rotation is kind of the key to, for my farming, which allows a lot more options for crops that can be grown as well as biodiversity. Are you doing this, these methods out of necessity or is this because it's, it's the style of farming that you believe in? I'd say it's a little of both. Uh, <laughs> it's the style of farming I believe in, in terms of necessity. It's, it's what I'm pursuing as a career. Uh, so it's, it's great to, believe in this kind of farming but at some point it's got to make you a little bit of money 
Well, I think it can because, I mean, the the way you described with, you know, industrial agriculture, it's totally reliant on all these external inputs. And every one of them costs the farmer a whole bunch of money. Now, an organic farmer or regenerative farmer also has to some inputs, like you talk about compost, that kind of thing. But the idea is you can make a lot of these things yourself. If you can save seeds, if you can make your own compost, if you can manage it in a regenerative way, then you can really cut down on, on your, your costs, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, even on my scale, it's a little tough to do all of that. Uh, I, I don't have enough compost right now right, to right. use for my entire half acre. I will. But uh, so I have to buy that from other sources. And uh, my I'd like to get away from using the fertilizer that I use as well and just build my soil to to where I can just use certain, add certain minerals to it where I don't need the extra boost of nitrogen or phosphorus or potassium, but I'm not there yet. So I use this to give me that boost to hopefully eventually get me to that, that point. So it takes a little bit of time to get your soil from where it is to where you want it to be. Uh, how long have you been thinking about this and how much longer do you think it'll be before your soil gets to where it needs to be? Well, it'll probably never get to where <laughs> I, where I would like it to be. Uh, but I'd say a minimum of five to seven years, hmm. Wow. Uh, get your soil to, to be where it has a complete nutrient analysis to where it could grow you could put it in there and it would grow just about anything. Does some of that, so if you have nutrient rich soil, does that, do those, some of those nutrients end up in the food? Without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't have any science to back this up, but I eat my food and I can tell versus when I eat some of the stuff that my mom might bring home from the grocery or, if I go out to a restaurant and eat some of that, like being that my focus is greens and it's kind of focused around a good, healthy salad. If I go out somewhere and get a salad, I'm only disappointed every <laughs> single time. <laughs> By the taste or, or what? Both. The, the taste especially, because that's, that's the first thing that you notice when you eat is the taste. So, I mean, that's, that's your first impression every time you sit down to a meal is how it tastes or how it smells. But, uh, yeah, and you don't, I don't feel as good, I suppose. That's, it's kind of lacking, but yeah. Yeah. Good, good food makes you feel good. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. I know that too, growing, growing my vegetables, uh, locally, uh, when, uh, you, you can taste some of the subtle, uh, differences in, in between the different soils sometimes, but, uh, it, it just makes my body feel healthier to be eating healthy food like that. Uh, and, and, and it's fresher too. When you think about the industrial agriculture system if you want to get it from california or god knows where china or chile or wherever to to your plate uh that means it's probably going to be picked before it's ripe (laughs) it's made for transport not for nutrition right as i understand it your tomatoes from california they're picked green and they're they're shipped over here and uh 
they release, I want to say it's ethylene gas. That's right. Yeah. Into the trucks. And that's what ripens them. And, you know, however long the journey is, they'll be right by the time they get there. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's good for the bottom line of the company that's doing that. And you have to have a big company to do that. You have to be a monopoly to do that profit profitably. You have to lowball the farmers to do that profitably. And it, it's not good for our nutrition. It's not good for climate and all the carbon it uses up. It probably has to be done with pesticides. So you're diminishing the biodiversity wherever it's being grown. It's probably uh, subjected it to the fields the, to excessive erosion. So that ends up going down the river. Yeah. Don't get me started. <laughs> as I understand it, a lot of that stuff in California is also grown in a desert. Yep. Mm -hmm. So uh, the irrigation that they're using is coming off the Colorado River, I think. And right. Or they're drilling way down to get it they're they're, yeah. they're you know, right. down 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 they're just sucking all the water all the natural groundwater out of the ground to for this rather short-term fix in terms of uh watering the the plants and, and so forth yeah so that's a that's a problem in itself i mean trying to produce in a, a desert area like that mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of those things you're talking about, Hart, uh, whether it's, you know, fossil water or fossil fuels, uh, unfortunately, all of that is part of the supply chain for even organic produce. So, you know, right. I'm not saying don't buy organic. I think yeah. organic's good. Right. But if you can buy local, even if there were some chemicals involved in producing it, uh, you're getting much healthier, fresher food. You're supporting the local economy. You're cutting way, way down on all those transportation costs and, and fossil fuels associated with that. So uh, there's multi it's a complicated issue, but there's just so many reasons to grow and buy local. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah local for me, local is is the most important thing uh, in terms of where you're buying your food. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, organic, organic, I'd say is a close second, but, <clears throat> but yes. Yeah. I, okay. Organic versus uh, not everything or organic is ecological. Um, for, well, I mean, I'm not here to knock organic. I mean, I'm, I'm coming around, I'm taking a course in organic land care and I'm coming around to, Hey, some of this stuff, it really makes sense. Oh yeah. But, but if you, you know, you, you can, for example, if you have an organic farm that grows, I, I still eat way too much of my diet in, in terms of uh, annual crops, like, you know, wheat cereal and, and uh, wheat bread and things like that. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's grown organically, but it's probably from tilled soil. And uh, I, over the course of time, I like to get more of my diet from, from perennials, from woody plants nuts, berries, etc. Something that, that grows and grows and grows, makes good use of solar energy, absorbs carbon, provides some habitat, etc. But that's a pipe dream. Not a pipe dream, but it's, <laughs> it's still in the future. But Justin here is an expert on local foraging. If, 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 if something happened to our food supply chain, I would call Justin that's and right. say, Justin, where have you been gathering nuts and berries and, <laughs> and mushrooms and what have you? 
That's absolutely right. Yeah. Take advantage of the resources that are all around us that are already here. We don't recognize them as food. I mean, something as simple as a service berry, which we planted all over Louisville. It's a great street tree uh, and it's providing habitat and birds love it. The service berries are real popular amongst the birds, but there's always plenty of leftover for us humans if we just recognize it and take the time to go out in that one week window at the, you know, end of May, early June and, and harvest a bucket full and put it in your freezer. You got pies and smoothies for the year <laughs> I, I saw justin swatting away at birds so get away from my service berry <laughs> <laughs> that's right if you don't put a private private sign on it <laughs> but i think annuals are always going to be part of our diet heart oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah for sure well uh, i was wanting to ask rob about uh so you're going to grow be growing some stuff during the winter months right you have uh what oh, yeah. you call it, a high, high tunnel Yes, I have a high tunnel uh, or a caterpillar tunnel. It's a very simple greenhouse model. And I've got four bed, 400 foot beds in there. I'm growing lettuce and three different types of lettuce in there. And one's a two, two beds are loose leaf and then two head lettuces. And, uh, but I'll have uh, spinach outside the greenhouse just about all winter as well. I'll keep it covered with low tunnels and uh, should have that all winter long too. And that's kind of acting as a cover crop as well for those particular beds. I love how that winter spinach gets sweet. Yeah. After <laughs> a frost. Yeah. 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 So yeah, are, these, are these high tunnels going to have any supplemental heating or do you don't think that's necessary? No, they won't have any supplemental heating. It's, I plant them early enough to where the lettuce will kind of grow and kind of lay dormant at a full size. So I can just harvest it kind of as I need it. Yeah. As the orders come in for it. And how are you going to work on watering those plants? Is it still going to be the overhead irrigation? These are actually on drip. Oh, okay. Uh, so they're, uh, it's kind of towards the end the end of my garden space. So I've got the overhead on all like the first 13 beds. And then the end I did drip, uh, partially because that's where my tomatoes are going to go as well. And you can't do overhead for tomatoes because they catch a lot of diseases and stuff when they get wet. Oh, right. Yeah. So it's on drip right now. And I really won't have to water it much at all through the winter just because it won't receive a lot of heat from the sun. So it'll hold, it'll hold moisture pretty well. Is, uh, is water expense a, a big one for you or are you on a, an agricultural meter and able to get better rates? Uh, well, we are, I'm on city water right now, unfortunately, but I only use the city water during the summer months. We do have a creek in the back, oh, very wow. small, and it runs. It, it'll dry up in the summer around June or so, and then it'll start up again sometime towards October. Huh. So there, there's three months out of the year that I'm on city water, and after that, I switch back to the to the creek. I use a pump to pump it up to the garden space. Cool. Yeah. 
Rob, I, I noticed that you have like several different, you have a diversified market, but you have different people that you sell to. You have a, a CSA, community supported agriculture, you sell to restaurants, you sell at farmers markets. So I, I think one of the hardest things for farmers to do is to have, a, a, you know, is to have a good, strong, consistent market for, so what, what have you learned about that that you would like to share with us? Marketing is the hardest thing that yeah. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Marketing is the most difficult thing for me, uh, mostly because it takes me away from the farm. Sure. And that is, you know, I'm farming because that's what I want to do. And uh, in terms of marketing, there are quite a few barriers of entry uh, when it comes, especially when it comes to getting into restaurants, getting, finding something that they don't have or that they really, really need. Um, so heirloom tomatoes were kind of one of those things for the couple of restaurants that I sold to. Uh, microgreens were a good uh, kind of foot in the door as well. Um, but yeah, you go driving all over town and spending gas and going in and talking and you probably get shut down, you know, four times out of five. Hmm. That, uh, that's, that is the most difficult thing, uh, especially for one's morale. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and you can't afford to do it. I can't afford to do it being that I'm doing this alone, like probably once a week, maybe twice a week. Uh, but I'm downtown twice a week, so I might try to slide by a few restaurants on my way back to the farm. And, uh, but going out specifically to do that all day long, it's, I, I could never justify that. It's kind of like, well, I've got time. I've got a little bit of time. I'll be in this area. Who can I, who can I go talk to? What do I have time for? You got to really think about managing your time when you go out to, to do your marketing for me. So can you imagine a, a model, uh, like an economic model that would better support farmers like you who don't have that time to do that marketing? Uh, it, it, if you could wave a magic wand here in Louisville and, and create something that would work for folks like you, what, what would that look like, do you think? Well, we, we have marketing tools like Facebook Marketplace. Uh, I use an app called Nextdoor, which is kind of like a Facebook, but it's very specific to your uh, zip code. So that's how I, that's how I worked my delivery CSA. Uh, we also have a thing called market wagon here in town now, which is a online ordering, uh, local produce or local foods to order. And, um, I go to Jeffersonville, Indiana every Thursday and I drop off what's been ordered from people all over the area of huh. Louisville. Wow. So you can just you sign up just like you would for uh, HelloFresh or Blue Apron. It's the same principle, except right. all of the food is coming from the immediate area here in Louisville. Can you say what that so, is again, if folks can look it up online? Yes, it's called Market Wagon. Market Wagon. I've never heard of it. That's very cool. Yeah, it's, it's a great service for farmers in this area and other local businesses. I mean, they, there's people on there selling 
like lotions, hand cream, oh, really? honey, uh, like pre pre-made meals. Um, and then there's lots of people on there selling produce as well. So it's, it's like an online grocery store, huh. just, and, uh, they'll deliver it right to your door every day, every Thursday. Wow. Very cool. I'll, yeah. I'll put a, a link to that in our show notes for this program, which you can find at forwardradio.org. You're listening to your community radio station, 106.5 FM. And uh, my name is Justin Mogg. I'm one of the programmers here on the station. I do a show called Sustainability Now. And with me also in the virtual studio is Hart Hagen from the Climate Report and Let's Talk. We're interviewing uh, Bob, Rob uh, Ball. He's a local farmer. You, you may have met at the Jefferson Town Farmer's Market or the Rainbow Blossom Farmer's market over in St. Matthews. Uh, he's a UK graduate and has just started farming on a small farm off Old Henry Road in Middletown. Uh, Going to be working on uh, some produce even over the winter. So uh, some of these farmers markets stay open over the winter, right? Are you going to, how are you going to keep selling? Well, I'll keep doing my CSA. Okay. And uh, I found out today actually that Bardstown Road farmers market goes all winter. That's right. And uh, market wagon the what I just mentioned they'll they'll go all winter long and any anywhere I can get in we we have a uh, arts and crafts slash farmers market uh, fall festival coming up next Sunday at Norton Commons and uh, I'll be selling there and then we'll also do a holiday bazaar in December so the same place so I'll, I'll have some pretty big events to sell some stuff as well so what's your vision for for growing this thing you can't keep doing it all by yourself right <laughs> no i can't <laughs> uh, well next year i am going to be leasing some land out in goshen from one of the guys that i get my compost from oh cool and so I'll have a nice big compost pile. It's right next to a, a riding stable. So I'll have that relatively accessible. And I'm probably going to hire, hoping to hire someone part-time. Um, and that'll be, you know, maybe one day during the week. And then one person, I'd like to be able to do two farmer's markets on Saturday. Mm. So I'll work one and then whoever is helping me out will work the other one. So that's, that's my immediate goal for next year. Uh, other than that, I'll be growing a lot more variety. I'm really? adding broccoli, cauliflower, uh, bok choy, chard, Ooh. potatoes. Um, and I'm going to do some sweet corn and sweet potatoes as well. I'm trying to think if I'm missing anything. So how, how will the extra land enable you to do something that you're not, you, you have 10 acres as it is. How, how is it that you can justify driving further? There must be a really good reason. Uh, I think it's justifiable. I'm also going to set up some roadside stands. Uh, I think that'll, that'll help out a lot in moving product and making a little bit more, mm -hmm. bringing a little cash flow uh but the being that water is kind of limited here during the summer where i'm at now i need to i found this guy he's got a cistern 
that collects all the rainwater off of his barn. Mm. And he's at the barn's a pretty big barn. He, wow. Uh, keeps a lot of, um, he raises show cattle. So he's got stalls for a bunch of show cattle and, uh, you got water and manure. You're ready to go. <laughs> uh, right. ready to go. Yeah. yeah. That's, um, that's my plan there. I'm going to grow over there. Uh, all of my cucurbits. So cucumbers, squash, pumpkins. Uh, I might do some melons over there too. And it's going to be grown all the same way. Uh, I'll probably use drip because I can just use one row of drip per bed. And that way I'll have water to where <laughs> that's free. Yeah. That I don't have to pay for. Uh, so you have an animal science degree. I have a couple of questions related to that. One is what did, uh, what, what did you learn there that may be different from your own philosophy going forward? And the other is, you know, if you want to incorporate more animals, why does that take a lot of capital? Uh, so first question, what, what I, what I learned in school that might be different from my own philosophy, I would say some basic immunity for these animals. What I learned in school was a lot of drugs, industrial <laughs> production of animals. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, not that. Not that, that there's anything demon. wrong with that. <laughs> demon people that do that, but uh, it wasn't something that I wanted to be a part of. Um, and you know, it's like Joel South and said, if you have to wear a hazmat suit to go into a place <laughs> where your food is made, maybe you shouldn't eat the food. <laughs> you know? Fair point. And I just never wanted to grow. I never wanted to farm on that scale. I wanted to be able to look at each one of my animals and know, you know, what's been going on with that animal. Maybe it would be, I would know that animal every day, maybe not by name, mm -hmm. but that would be, you know, the, the spotted one, you know, the, the Charlet looking cow, you know, the, the Berkshire pig, whatever it may be. It just wouldn't be a mass of chickens or cattle or, pigs or whatever that you have no connection to whatsoever. That was never something that I wanted to be, be doing on my farm. Well, I got to ask, you know, young people aren't going into agriculture that much. So um, what is it about farming that is particularly attractive to you? The simplicity, mm. the simple, simple life. Um, yeah. The, the average age of a farmer is 65 in this Crazy, country. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it was being outside. It was working with mother nature and earth. Mm. Uh, I'd say part of it was even the challenge of it. Uh, I found it to be, I, I couldn't think of anything that would be more challenging as, as a job. It, keep, it keeps me active. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't keep track of how many miles I walk a day, but I'd say <laughs> it's between, between five to seven. Wow. And it prevents you from, I guess, it keeps you more connected to the world around you. Yeah. 
like I said, you're looking, you're looking down most of your day. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But not looking down on others. (laughs) It's almost as if this works for us because it's what we did for the first Mm. 200,000 years of our existence. You know, we were close to the land. It's a recent phenomenon that we're hustled off into offices or behind the wheel of a truck or what have you. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, as I understand it, this is probably the oldest profession that exists, other than maybe. For purposes dogs. of this show, we'll say that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. And so, and the- what, what, what does it take? What is it about uh, getting animals going that requires some capital? Well, the purchasing, of course, ongoing cost, whereas you have to feed them every single day and they they can't go hungry and uh whereas with plants you know you fertilize them as they need it which is you know how whatever your fertilizer regimen requires and uh you have to be there every day to look watch your animals so time is a big issue as Mm -hmm. well just whereas i could leave the garden for a few days and it'd be fine especially if it just rained, you know, I, I, there were times this year where I, I wouldn't step foot in the garden for three days. Not because, not because I didn't want to, it's typically because my car was broke down (laughs) or the track broke down or I had to do some, something else to where it took me away and I just didn't get out there. So, um, you can't do that with animals. You can't just walk away from your, your cattle or your chickens for three or four days and they'd be okay. I'll tell you what, in my semi-retirement, I'll come out and set up a shack uh, and, and watch your animals and, and feed them <laughs> from time to time and move the electric fence. And Yeah. Yeah. Well, watching your animals is probably one of the most important things you can do for them. Just sitting there watching them, making sure they're healthy, moving around, staying active. Yeah, it really is about paying attention, whether it's animals or plants, uh, just being observant uh, and, and attentive to the needs. Uh, that, that's what makes a good farmer. Absolutely. Well, I also love, uh, the you know, you talked about being outside and the connection to nature, but I also love the feeling of independence uh, and, and certainly doing this professionally, you know, being your own boss. I mean, that's got to feel good. It feels really good. <laughs> In high school, I did. I, I ran a small landscaping company as well. I bought a mower and ran around the neighborhood cutting grass, putting mulch down. I did too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every every young kid should do that to some degree. <laughs> and uh, it, in terms of work, it was the best feeling that I've ever had up until now. When I'm doing it for myself, gardening. Yeah farming um, and I worked at a bunch of different farms and a bunch of different places all over the world to some degree and working for somebody else it's fine it's good as long as it's something that you enjoy but it never was enough for for me so yes it's great being your own boss <laughs> yeah so we've talked about we've talked about marketing We've talked about why, why local. Well, have we talked about why, why all 
local farming is is important. I'd like to name a few things. Did I say this already? It's like you know, climate. It's a, it burns up a lot less carbon to farm locally. Uh, biodiversity. We're in the sixth mass extinction, and there is nothing. Okay, here, here's here, here's a soapbox I'm going to get on. Uh, <laughs> oh, look at I, it. I, I'm 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 anti-war and anti-Wall Street, and I hate the war machine, and I hate uh, you know what what Wall Street does. But there's nothing. There is no industry in this world that is at war with life on Earth like industrial agriculture. Mm. Uh, the Monsantos and the Cargills and the Archer Daniels Midland, mm. uh, they, they're removing biodiversity. They, they have this secret science. They're, they're, they, uh, you know, they enslave farmers with systems that involve a lot of input. You go into debt for the inputs. And uh, if you don't get out of debt that year, then you're if further enslaved again. But, you know, lots and lots, of, uh, I've heard that industrial agriculture, I've heard agriculture generally is the number one cause of deforestation. Mm. So, you know, McDonald's is building 2,000 uh, 2, more uh, <clears throat> stores a year. And, you know, the deforesting to grow cattle, deforesting to grow soybeans, uh, deforesting to grow high fructose corn syrup for the genetically modified corn. And then they use Roundup to kill the, wild, uh, the weeds, i.e. wildflowers that otherwise. Anyway, yeah. and <laughs> get, get big or get out. Uh, the Secretary of Agriculture said, uh, but said plant it. Fence row to fence row, as if that's you know, how long is that going to last to plant fence row to fence row? You know, he that's when financing, you know, that's when people are that's when bankers are running the farm, you know, people that have never set foot on a on a farm in their lives for <laughs> yeah. decisions for, <laughs> on what to grow and how to grow it. Yeah, can be it's a pretty devastating system, whether it be environmentally or economically. And then you have these big monopolies that uh, get to set the price. If they're, you know, Dean Foods buys 90% of the milk in Wisconsin. So they set the price for milk yeah. and whoever's buying the corn set the price for corn. And the big dudes can always ride out price fluctuations, but those price fluctuations put little farmers out of business. And then the less you're getting paid for your product, the cheaper you have to farm. If you have to farm cheap, then so much for any uh, ecological concerns or practices that you had. I want to ask about setting prices because that's always been a question in my mind as a subsistence guy. I don't really think about how, how but how do you set prices for your stuff, Rob? I look at a lot of different sources. Uh, I walk into Kroger. Really? And, oh, yeah. yeah. So you're trying I'll to beat in. Kroger, huh? <laughs> no, I don't try to okay. beat Kroger. I, I look at Kroger as my minimum. <laughs> it's guaranteed to be 20% more than Kroger. <laughs> yeah. Guaranteed. Yeah. And uh, I, use a, I use a website called Park Slope Food Co-op. And they have a list of just about every uh, produce item that you could think of yeah. on there, what they're selling it at. Uh, and they list it out, whether it's conventional or whether it's local. Um, and then I'd still, I look at the USDA 
website sometimes. And uh, that being that it's a government website, sometimes it's hard to maneuver. But uh, I look at that, the wholesale prices, the retail, retail prices, and it's usually broken down by month. So those are, those are some of the sources that I use. Uh, and then I also, I have to look at what I can sell it at yeah. and they'll turn a profit. Right. Yeah. Imagine this time of year into the seasons when you're doing some, a lot of that calculation, like how much should I cover my expenses and should I up the right. price of things? And yeah. And then if somebody asks you how, why your food is, is, uh, so expensive you say it's what it costs me to grow it you know how's the cost that's what it costs me to grow it yeah i tell you you know it hadn't been all that long uh, that i've been eating good stuff and and not too long ago i went in i there was a company lunch at like this place not a fast food place but it's this chain restaurant that will remain nameless okay and and, <laughs> and it's like am i gonna you know a year ago two years ago i would have thought nothing about getting chicken nuggets with the sauces etc. Right. and then it but what i know now about tyson <laughs> makes my stomach turn i could not imagine choking down that stuff wow yeah because of the way the birds are raised, because of what they put, what they feed them, what they drug them with, and what the birds have to, you know, they, the, the, what they have to, what the birds have to breathe, breathe, and yeah. eat is just, it's just horrendous. Plus, you know, that chicken farmer has been lowballed. Uh, that chicken farmer has no control over any of the stuff. Anyway. Yeah. That's why I you really honor the work that you're doing, Rob Bell. I think uh, you know farming is 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 public service, <laughs> and and should be, uh, you know, should be more respected as a profession in our nation. If we don't if we don't change that, and if we don't make it profitable for people, uh, we're gonna as as you say, the age average age of farmers is getting so high, we're gonna run out of farmers soon. Uh, so I really honor you for doing this work for our community. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm honored to do it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we're about out of time here on Truth to Power. It has been such a treat getting to know you, Rob Bell. Again, you can look for him uh, at your local farmer's market. He's been at the Rainbow Blossom Farmer's Market in St. Matthews at the Jefferson Town Farmer's Market. Sounds like you might be at Bardstown Road Farmer's Market coming up. Uh, something I'm to look into. Something to look into. Yeah. His company is called Naked Greens. Do you have a website or something like that? No website yet. I've got Instagram and Facebook. You can look me up on both of those. There you yes. go. Check out Naked Greens on Instagram and Facebook. I don't know what other search results you might get, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a pleasure getting to know you, and, and good luck with your winter growing, my friend. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you for joining us today, Two Heart, and uh, thanks to our listeners for tuning in, and we will be back in your ears again in one week's time. Be well, everyone. Thanks, guys.